Hey, I don't know if you remember this, but I met you when you were probably about 14. Oh, gosh. I'm good friends with... Um, let uh... me guess. Oh, go ahead. My brother? Something in the in the world of, of that? Uh, yeah. The I went to college with Ethan, and I spend every summer on Dude's Weekend. Uh, I've known Ethan since Ramapo. You're part of Dude's Weekend. I am. I'm I'm That's one of the different. essential dudes. I'm never invited to Dude's Weekend. Welcome to the Asbury Park Vibes podcast. Asbury Park Vibes is dedicated to sharing information about the live music scene in the Asbury Park area, as well as the bands who've traveled through. We thank you for tuning in, downloading, or just stumbling upon our podcast. Hey everybody, this is Doug Drescher for Asbury Park Vibes, and we're very excited today. We have a, an amazingly uh, multi-talented uh, fella here by the name of Constantine Maroulis. Many of you will know him from American Idol, although that is 18 years ago already. I'm not sure. Do I introduce you as an actor, singer, performer, or performer, singer, actor, or actor, performer, singer? Anyway, Constantine, thank you for uh, coming on our little podcast, and uh, welcome to Asbury Park Vibes. Thanks, mate. Uh, so good to be here, and thank you for aging me so uh, so eloquently <laughs> in the intro there. I think it's 17 years. Every 17 year years? counts, but maybe it is 18. Either way, um, the wig is holding up, and... Uh, we're happy to be here and and still rocking and rolling for sure. Absolutely. And and for anybody, I mean, no one's going to see this visually, but he has maintained his long locks, his four-day <laughs> beard growth, and his brooding good looks. So <laughs> I think uh, Simon Cowell referred to you as one of the best powders that they had ever had on American Idol. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We, we have Constantine because uh, next weekend, uh, June 10th, 11th, 12th, is the Orange Loop Festival, and he's going to be performing with his uh, group called Foreigner's Journey, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Constantine, you, you grew up in uh, North Jersey, Wyckoff, uh, originally born in Brooklyn. How did, how did you know that this performance thing was, was inside of you? What, what was that young age moment where you're like, wow, I like being in front and performing? Yeah, man, thank you. I I knew very early on. Um, I idolized my brother and sister. They're much older than me. Uh, they don't like when I say that. But it's true. <laughs> and, you know, they would bring home the coolest records. And I just grew up in a great era of music because I'm getting like all the end of the seventies. I'm in the middle of the eighties. And then by high school, I'm in the middle of the cool nineties. Um, my brother's bringing home, you know, jazz records and show music, but also introduced me to classic rock and David Bowie, my sister with the new wave and um, early U2 and pop music and such. But they also loved show tunes and they they performed. They were in the choruses and, and the musicals in high school. And the, the very few occasions that we were all together, um, the three of us and my parents, because my parents worked crazy around the clock. Uh, we left Brooklyn, uh, you know, at the end of the 70s. It, it was not it was not the Brooklyn it is today. Sure. And we had to get the F out of there and they wanted a better uh, education and life for us. There was a big Greek church in Wyckoff. My, my aunt had moved out here with her kids. Her husband worked at the old IBM. I think that was in Franklin Lakes. Yes. Um, it's a bit of a community here and just an excellent public school system. But, you know, for me, we, we would watch West Side Story together as a family. And it just felt so real. That beautiful original film. My mother would point out the Greeks. Uh, in the ensemble from both sides, the Jets and the Sharks. Of course, George Jakiris, who won the Oscar. Um, she knew Jerome Robbins' dancers from the neighborhood in Brooklyn. And then my brother played Bernardo his senior year in high school. And it was the most realistic thing. Like, it felt real to me. It felt mm -hmm. like he was getting killed in the rumble. And that, I'm, I'm five years old at the time, six years old. I mean, it just, I leapt out of my seat like this this is this is it. This is the only thing 
I want to do. And I always had a big singing voice, but I had uh, extreme stage fright. You know, it, it took a long time um, and some great teachers. And I played trumpet growing up um, and just build up the confidence, you know, but uh, but certainly early on. Uh, for those who probably wouldn't make the connection or don't know, uh, Constantine's brother, Ethan Maroulis, uh, known internationally for being uh, sort of like a, in a goth band called uh, Fahrenheit 451, which was big along the East Coast. And Ethan also has his own record label and does a lot of uh, re-releasing and writing of uh, jazz uh, musicians. I know he's done some really great stuff with, with uh, re-releases and... Um, uh, I think soaking wet, Ethan weighs about a pound and a half. So you know, he, he, he's he, he's another one of these dark brooding fellows with a wonderfully dry sense of humor. Uh, so so you knew you wanted to perform. Uh, did you were you in in the high school plays when when you got older? Yes, I was. You know, I was in um, I was in productions earlier on. I had great teachers, but. I would get the part and I would get up there and I would chicken out mm. and I didn't want everyone to hear my high singing voice and, you know, boys voices were changing and mine was not and basically never has, you know, I, I'm still like a stratosphere tenor and um, that's a good thing for me, but it was tough. Yeah. And, and then, I'll spare you all the details. It's a story I've told before I even was published in uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I told my story about um, my chorus teacher and she passed away and her name was Mrs. Birdsill. Um, Ethan knew her as well. And and I feel like the ghost of her came back in this the spirit of this giant owl that came and hovered over our um school theater on an opening night of a show and it felt like it was really her i'm telling you because she was this jolly old uh you know fat lady and sure. uh she and she was like she was like a wise owl so she always stayed with me mr thompson i had a great teacher um um doug gipple Ethan worked with too when he was young great great teachers and just they did the right thing um you had to earn your way in you had to start in the ensemble learn from the older kids and as you became an upperclassman you would start to get parts no matter how talented you were sure. and there were a lot of talented kids a lot so but those are the best men and i played sports growing up as well Ethan played hockey um but the the memories and those and those experiences uh, you know and the relationships and life experiences that that was that was everything to me so and then i started i started blending in playing in bands as well and i wanted to be like my brother um but i we have very different instruments i have this this range and he's like this moody kind of tone singer and i loved you know everything you know big and loud and rock and roll but i also love the grateful dead and that kind of experimental uh, psychedelic stuff. So by freshman year of high school, I was singing in bands too. So yeah. that confidence, you know, standing in front of a band with a microphone, all of a sudden girls like it, you start to build a little confidence. So well, th th it's all, oh, my dog says that someone's delivering a package. Oh. There's two things that I find to be uh, a common theme among people who we get to meet who are singers or in bands. One is almost always that there was a teacher or a music teacher that, help them overcome that fear, that idea that maybe they saw the world a little differently because they wanted to perform. And then uh, the first time uh, girls swoon when you're on a <laughs> microphone, that, that is quite a catalyst to uh, getting up on stage. Oh, man, absolutely. <laughs> That's and... the intoxicating part. So uh, I understand <laughs> you, uh, so you, you got your Bachelor of Fine Arts, and then after college... I was looking at some of the videos. I mean, you certainly sounded like you were ready to be in a, uh, in a, in like a, a hard rock band. Uh, so after college, you know, you get your graduation cap. What what do you do next? Well, I always built a plan for myself. I would try to like think ahead in three to five year stages. Um, I was a non-traditional student at the Boston Conservatory, Berkeley College of Music. My final, I, I had done some part-time at in the music department of William Patterson in North Jersey, excellent music and certainly sure. jazz 
he's number one um and was auditioning around and then you know auditioned for the conservatory got in did the program in three years but my final year there was was 9 11 mm. and we lost our first cousin gus and it just it just it just shredded me sure. um destroyed um and just sort of questioned everything but got through that year didn't showcase um that was why people even went there showcase agents etc but i i stayed on the path i said i'm gonna go to boco i'm gonna i'm gonna showcase i'm gonna get an agent i'm gonna be in rent i'm gonna go to williamstown i'm gonna be an apprentice at williamstown i'll be the first one ever at the boston conservatory to 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 earn a, an apprenticeship at the prestigious williamstown theater festival because i'm an actor you know i'm not yeah. just like singer and and i did i i, I finished graduated i entered the apprentice program at williamstown i met everyone there i mean chris pine the movie star and i were apprentices together liz merriweather the writer she she's written everything she wrote uh the the new girl um uh, for Zoe Deschanel, she, she's written all kinds of great. She just did the dropout. Um, anyway, so like this. But at, but at that time, were you looking more to be a, a TV or a film actor as opposed to like a, a a stage singer? Yeah, I think you know what you learn. There's no difference, and there shouldn't be. Um, and Broadway itself, like, it's gotten more grounded. Everything's more grounded. It's it's just scene work, you know. So whether it's on camera or on stage it really shouldn't be very different you're kind of just serving the text right um i think when we're intimate and it's just there's not a lot going around behind you and you're just being conversational it seems like it's far more subtle but it's um it really shouldn't be very different so i i did um some indie films in school I met Michael Greif, the director of Rent, that summer at Williamstown. He cast me in Rent. I toured with Rent for a couple of years. I had a rock band that followed me around. And then my first bump in the road was like, great job. We're not bringing you back next year um, on, on Rent. We're bringing in a whole new young cast. Now, I had sort of a small agent at the time, but I was, I was bummed. So I spent all the money. I was partying and rocking <laughs> with my band. So an old girlfriend... Uh, invited me to go audition for American Idol, which was very still new. We didn't really have we didn't have social media. We didn't have um, we didn't use the Internet like we do. So I didn't really um, I heard of the show, but I was in conservatory. Then I was on tour. I mean, I knew who like Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini were, but that's about it. Uh, and so and, and, and you one. benefited from they had changed the age range, yeah. age range. Uh, and you were able to get in there as a slightly older fella there <laughs> as the old man um and uh and it worked it was just you know right away they had the cameras on me and i was an actor i played it up i knew that they needed a story and it was like my band doesn't know i'm here you know yeah. i was just starring in on broadway and rent and touring all around the world but my rock band you know who i'm committed to like they don't know I'm here and they're like, what, really? So what happens if you make the show? I'm like, I'll have to, I'll have to lead the band. <laughs> and it, and we were like in Williamsburg, which was like, that's, that's, all. that's big drama for TV, right? The drama. It was quite the drama. Yeah. So I had, I had some characters in the band that made for great television and it was just a great, a great sort of storyline. Like it was the first time they had like a man on the show and a rocker and they Ryan Seacrest comes to our studio in Williamsburg, which again, isn't the Williamsburg it is today, like 2004, sure. 2005, you know, it was still like, we were, it was like the only music uh, rehearsal studio there. Mm -hmm. And now they're everywhere. Um, and in fact, everyone's gotten priced out of Williamsburg. It's nuts. Um, so it was just the right time, the right moment. I had the right name. And when I met Carrie Underwood, I knew that I was not going to beat her. But yeah. I needed to to milk this and get as far as I could um, and then try to, um, you know, create an opportunity and longevity out of it. But that that must be amazing. Um, I mean, I don't know how I, I mean, my knowledge of American Idol is limited to I was a principal at the time and the teachers were swooning over you. And when I said, oh, yeah, I've met him a few times, I, I got some <laughs> like street cred. But, but when you experience having somebody like Paula Abdul 
uh, on international television essentially say, oh, I'm falling in love with you. I mean, that must be an ego stroke beyond all measure. Well, it's funny. You know, I had my brother and I, we were we were very limited in what we could sing on the show. Yeah. Big artists and big classic rock vocalists that I wanted to do like Bon Jovi and Aerosmith, even though I auditioned with an Aerosmith song, we had a one-time usage of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Journey, whatever it was, all the big vocals I wanted to do, we couldn't clear it. So we had to be clever about stuff. And my brother and I would, would, he would be reading the chat boards and stuff, which again, limited at the time, not a lot of social media. There was like Mm -hmm. MySpace and sort of private chat stuff. Um, And he was like, dude, it seems like it's all like, soccer moms and like uh, like a lot of moms it's it's definitely a lot of momage there yes (laughs) the moms love you and we need to and and clearly paula kind of represented that so we had to play into that a little bit more like there were definitely like little you know teeners that are always going to have their favorites and stuff but the moms are like oh i can watch and kind of have like a little bit of like a crush on one of the contestants now and not feel creepy about it. Oh, absolutely. And then the song you picked, although at the moment it's escaping me. Well, uh, we did a Partridge Family song, which was... Which was the jazz one that you guys kind of modernized a little bit. um, Well, we did um, My Funny Valentine. That that was the one that I think really set you apart. Um, I have to tell you, in looking back, because I was watching some of the old American Idols, I'm I'm not sure... um, um, Who's the guy that sits on the right, the sarcastic one? Simon, Randy. Yeah, I don't think Simon ever – I don't. I never, I never, didn't get the sense that Simon clucked with you. He seemed to dislike you at a distance for some reason, and it, it seemed to irk him that you were doing well. I think off-camera we got along very well. Yeah. And I, that, that was an interesting dynamic for him to take because it was like Randy and Simon were like the men on the show. Yeah. And, you know, Seacrest was sort of like neutral. Um, and all of a sudden it's like there was another big dick in the room. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, I think that they had a way of being like, okay. And it was just all good TV. Good. Really. It was fascinating. So you, you make it to the sixth round, which is fantastic. And then that Carrie Underwood was just sort of a freight train <laughs> that wasn't going to stop. So it no. wasn't worth going any farther. So after American Idol, what was like that first big, hey, we're there, and and what did you do right after American Idol? Oh, I mean, remember, they taped it over like um, the early stages over many months. So the premiere had happened, and I was even back in New York. And I basically, every time I walked into a bar or something, it was like crazy. That must be so much fun. Crazy. Yeah. 30 million people watching a night it's like oh my god that's constantine the music stopped so i got a little of that before i even started really truly competing mm-hmm. now i had a little glimpse of that stuff the rent heads were fanatical is, so is that what they're little... called rent heads people who love rent the show, heads, right? <laughs> and they, they were there was a lot of stage door stuff so i i had a little sense but not not the same yeah nothing nothing can prepare you not not New York City, not not Broadway, not nothing. Um, so uh, really, my first opportunity came um, with Kelsey Grammer. Um, his his production company had a big TV production company. Um, they, you know, we cut a deal. I signed with Creative Artists, CAA. Mm-hmm. We cut a deal with uh, Kelsey Grammer to develop a, a scripted um, uh, sitcom. Uh, my brother was a big part of that. Um, and uh, um, ABC bought the show in the room mm-hmm. and we developed uh, a script called Brooklyn. Actually, that was sort <laughs> of like my own kind of big fat Greek wedding. It was really good. We did, we ended up wanting uh, one writer who uh, co-created King of Queens. He was the guy, mm-hmm. but he was, he was working on this Marissa Tomei thing that never even popped off. And we got a writer that we we weren't as psyched on who did the Amanda Bynes and Jenny Garth um, show um, at CW for a few years. I forget what it was called, but it, it so we went through many script phases and like we're, you know, like about to do the pilot and it just didn't happen. And all the while, like, you know, I had met the Rock of Ages producers 
they pitched me the show. It was very infantile. It was getting done in like bars in, in LA. And then really, you know, I did the rounds on Broadway, was going to opening nights. I was in The Wedding Singer on Broadway. I replaced uh, one of the leads very early on after the show opened, which is very rare. That, But the show was very good and audiences loved it, but it wasn't like killing it at the box office. And they were basically, you know, on the verge of closing. So I came in and I think it was the first time they saw the idle effect, like, whoa. Yeah, there is a ripple effect. But what they, I don't what I don't think do, people really what what I don't think people outside of this industry understand is for every success you've had, there's there's like six or seven major disappointments. Sure. How do you keep scraping yourself off the ground and having balls enough to say, No, we'll move on to the next project? I just love what I do. And I, I think it's funny. I was watching this John Mayer um, interview really just this morning with Sammy Hagar. And uh, he said, I started in, I parachuted in from the top. Mm-hmm. And he said, there was nowhere else to go. So like people wanted to keep me there, but I had to come down to find other ways to go back up and challenge myself with, I'm going to do a soap opera. I'm going to do a supporting lead on Broadway. I'm going to tour. I'm going to do a solo record. I'm going to try to develop this TV show. I'm going to produce some, I'm going to write songs. I'm going to do a little Nashville. And that's just what I do. I'm going to play in a band, you know, and again, probably spread myself out in those first couple of years but it's just what I do. Sure. And then, of course, Rocket Pages really was like my my Jesus take the wheel. I mean, you know, to sort of co-create a show from really the ground up in New York, go from off Broadway to Broadway and see it become a global brand. Um, when, when, that became, when that became, a, was the movie after the show? Oh, yes. Long after. So, it was, so, so the when they made the movie... Did they did they touch base with you at all or ask for any creative input? Yeah, so originally the movie like it went right to movie rights as soon as we popped off on Off Broadway everyone's like, "Oh, this is going to be, you know, no one was paying attention to us yet, but our producers were movie producers, so they cut a deal for a movie early on with New Line. And Chris Dorenzo was always supposed to write and direct it. He's the writer of the of the book of the show. Mm-hmm. And you know, the show and I go on to get like the best actor, Tony Nam and all these accolades. And I'm, you know, synonymous with the show. And I take sure. it on the road. The reviews are crazy. Even they got better and better and better. The show is not about like why the audience is rooted for me is because I was kind of 30. I was actually like 32, 33, <laughs> but still pushing a broom, the character still like, I'm going to make it. And, you know, meets like a 25 year old girl, just get, you know, so they, we rooted for them because it was like, oh, they're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And that's cute. So like when they handed the reins over to the movie studio and they star fucked every role and they took all the heart and soul out of the play and they changed it so much and they cast like a high school, like 18 year old to play my part. It was like, it didn't have like the, you know, and then you have Tom Cruise who's fucking Tom Cruise. Like it just turned into his movie. It's not Stacey Jacks' story. So it's like, and people assume Tom Cruise played my part. So it was a bit of a mess. And unfortunately, you know, they took a big swing and it well, should have fueled the show for, for decades. But I think I think an audience found the movie eventually on, on cable TV and on like now streaming like HBO and stuff. It like I equate it to maybe one of those like John Cusack movies in the eighties that <laughs> didn't didn't happen theatrically, but my generation like found like a you know, found it on HBO in the middle of the night and we're sure. watching the out of it so the movie sucks to be honest but i i wanted to play my part because i knew that's what it needed it needed the heart and and every newspaper in the country was like this kid needs to play the fucking part yeah and they 
overthought it and well they the cashed director... in they cashed in on the name but they didn't yeah. bring the soul along yeah i mean it should have been more like hedwig and the angry inch like that film mm-hmm. like indie but powerful still with great production numbers but like it should have had a grainy kind of vibe about it you know it should have been like those it should have been like a blues brothers you know like what when 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 like blues brothers had all those stars in their movies sure but it was like grungy yeah that well, no, it, could, it could have been so so uh, so you recover from that and i gotta tell you i don't know if i'd recover from that disappointment but you've also gone on you the title tell me just quick the title role in jekyll and hyde how, how does that come about yeah i'm actually i'm out of town at the time at the alley theater in houston one of the greatest theaters in the country actually where jekyll and hyde originated 30 years ago uh, a frank wildhorn version of it um very different i'm doing the toxic avenger with david bryan from bon jovi who composed it um the adaption of the lloyd kaufman um you know iconic you know underground uh superhero from new jersey the toxic avenger and it was really good and we had huge reviews we were like going to broadway mm-hmm. and then the Peterlanders offered me a lot of money they're like we want you to tour jekyll and hyde for a year and then bring it to broadway and we're going to get deborah cox to play lucy and we're going to reinvent the show and i'm like i mean well can't, yeah, can't, tur- yeah can't turn that down and it was a lot of money. And, and you know, I knew it was a flawed show. I mean, it's a sci-fi musical. Like, when people come in, they're like, it, it does, that can't really happen. A guy can't, like, turn it. No shit. It's not meant it's, to it's, be real. It's a, it's a sci-fi. It's like, dude. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Um, but we garnered, like, huge buzz and, and reviews on the road and, and getting to know Frank Wildhorn you know, one of my dearest friends and we have collaborated since many times and we're working on a lot of new shit, including maybe bringing Dracula back. And he's got new shows, Excalibur and Death Note and all these great shows coming to Broadway. He's he's better than ever at 60, better than ever. So yeah. we came to New York um, like for a, a limited run mad one mm-hmm. in the summer. And it was like the summer of like, kinky boots and cinderella and i'm like on the poster like choking the hot black girl and it was like dude this is what so (laughs) no one allowed us to to happen in a way but we had a we had a sort of um you know solid summer run and that was it but um i loved it i would not trade anything and i've done it since um, with Robert Cuccioli, the original star, directing me in the round at North Shore, 1,500 seats in the round, more of the original version of it, but Bob's sort of like hybrid book, and that was excellent, and I loved it, yeah, and I, I have a new Broadway show in the pipeline I'm excited about as well. And Are you allowed to tell us a little bit about it, or is that going to keep on the rest? It's, um, it's, let's just say it's about the birth of rock and roll, like late 40s, early 50s, Cleveland, Alan Freed. They're not going to make you cut your hair, are they? I'll probably, I mean, these days everyone's just like wigging everything. Okay. So. I mean, you can't lose the locks, dude. I know. I mean, <laughs> I want to do more film and TV stuff and like have people not just equate me with like <laughs> rocket ages all the time. But uh, it's like I need to work also. And I'm sure. Like, no, you use that as a catalyst. I do. And I, I, I hide it well, and but the, the wig is everything. So, yeah, it would be a very 50s look, and we're so, really excited. It's going to be the one of the first shows ever, and, and I think the first show ever, to have um, a catalog um, of amazing music from the era, but also original music and compositions. Is, is it um, a lot of work to uh, clear the, the rights to get some of those older songs? Yes. Yes, it I is. Mean, that's got to be a work. pain in the ass. You know, a lot of people want their songs like in as many avenues as possible now. So it's it's easier now. And it's also still hard because there are some, you know, when there's that one song and you have that holdout and you're like, ah. and, and, that's, most... and that's the song you really think is going to encapsulate the, the right. plot, right? 
Right, exactly. And that was the that was originally the problem in Rock of Ages. That's why we have like the Def Leppard joke in the um, in the curtain speech that David Coverdale would do, because it's like, and there will not be any Def Leppard because we couldn't get the rights to their music. <laughs> and even though like the the song is the the show is like named after a Def Leppard yeah album, um, but. It was always funny when like religious people would come to the show and think it was going to be like some Jesus biblical like show. I, I, I could see people not paying attention to think that's what it's about. <laughs> There's like but... all this TNA in their face. <laughs> so for a kid who was nervous about getting on stage and you performed in front of thousands and thousands of people at one time and then over your career, you must have been on stage in front of you know, you know hundreds of thousands of people. Do you still get nervous or, or how do you overcome that first step onto the stage? I've stepped on stage in front of tens of tens of people also. Yeah. And that might be when you're the most nervous. Dozens of people are in the audience. Right? Yeah, singles, lots of tens of people. Um, and, um, you know, man, um, the actor in me connects with the lyric, tell a story, entertain, um, serve the text, do your job. And yeah, I think a little bit of nervousness for sure. Um, but uh, I, you try to use that energy and, uh, and really like I'm 46 and not many people are running around doing what I do in a live show. Sure. Um, jumping in the audience, jumping on off stages, you know, flipping, diving, jumping up on seats, crowd surf whatever it is like if it's if it's that kind of show i i still can do it and i still love to do it um and um so far so good so far so good so uh you've worked with i mean some of the things that you've done I, i've always i i enjoy like that postmodern jukebox thing seems pretty cool uh, I, cool. I love the take on pop music that they do it it, it takes it into a more intellectual place yes. much more interesting uh yes. so Tell me about um, Foreigner's Journey. What's this about, and 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 where are you taking that? Yeah, um, and yeah, you mentioned PMJ, uh, amazing. Everything uh, they touch amazing. is golden, absolutely. Yeah. Scott is a Jersey kid, and uh, he basically, you know, was just like playing piano, living in Queens, and did a video like from his apartment in in. Um, in, in Queens and it just like went viral. And he's mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Um, let me give it like a cool name. Uh, it's almost like the trans Siberian thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, he's like I'm going to call it trans Siberian orchestra. Yeah. And it's just, it just fucking works. Um, what I like about it, it let, I'm going to be 58 this year and it, it, it made it so I can listen to some of the music my kids were listening to when they were younger yeah. that, I, that I found to be rather vacuous and unimportant. But when they put that jazz tinge to it, I was like, okay, I can connect to it now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Scott is a genius and uh, he's got a great team and we love performing with him. Uh, we do more like I've hosted and uh, toured with them. We find it's, it's more impactful when I special guest like, at the beacon or at like sure. the, you know, the Mayo pack in, in Morristown or, you know, the Montreal jazz festival or something like monitor, whatever it is, you know, um, and that's, that's sort of the impact there. Um, I mean, I can do all the crooning and jazz stuff, but he, you know, he wants me to do my thing and like yeah. do, uh, an Aerosmith song, like in a 50s soul way and stuff. And it's pretty cool. But yeah, foreigners journey sort of popped off for me over the pandemic. Um, it's become an extension of Rock of Ages. I, I often get paid a lot of money to like put on a Rock of Ages style concert, sure. um, whether it's with a tribute band that exists or me kind of doing that. And I weave my original stuff into it. Um, but people want to hear me wail Bon Jovi and Journey and stuff. Mm -hmm. The Foreigner's Journey thing is an extension of that. Um, yeah, it's a celebration of classic rock. Um obviously foreigner and journey but we do other stuff we do some of my tunes it's it's a major touring act um yeah. it, we do live nation shows we have great you know agents and managers and uh they're a great bunch of guys out of boston where i love it's kind of my 
one of my my second homes up there and uh we just connected and we've been making um some great music together and just having a good time so um yeah it's it was sort of a side thing and then it's become a bit more full-time because we play a lot Mm -hmm. um are are you playing a lot now as as people sort of get over their covid fears and there's a lot of these festivals are you finding it seems like now everyone is on tour and it's almost like the 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 field is a little too crowded because on any one night i'm not sure what i'm supposed to be going to see right and you can come see foreigner's journey for like under 40 bucks and like see an amazing show and you can't see every monster touring act because they all want like $400 a ticket to sit in like the nosebleeds sure. and they're all spring at the same time. And that's tough. So the tribs have really popped off again. And, you know, my friends in almost queen, they, they couldn't be more busy. Yeah. They're, they're down like $30,000 shows. Like they, they, they can't play any more than they do. Sure. Um, and I think it is a tri-state sort of thing. You know, like that, that, that rock of ages era, mid to late eighties, um, everyone was like, well, I could just be in like a, you know, poison tribute and, <laughs> uh, and just go play at uh, you know, Lamaze or whatever, um, or studio one. Um, I think it's like that, that thing is rooted in Jersey. It feels like, so we've been taking that and we're getting this far out, you know, as like the Midwest and, um, down to florida and like so it's fun i mean obviously i'm uh committed to be an actor i'm i'm set to do a film in europe in 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 the fall and i'm i'm hoping there's um um a sooner rather than later uh future for the for the broadway show um and and you know i'm always competing at film and tv and stuff so um but what's cool is you know you can move a show you can move a show, you know, you can move, a, you know, if you're playing a few times a month, if you have to move a show, you got to move a show. I mean, it's so funny what we accept now because of the pandemic and like what we didn't used to. Mm-hmm. It's like you could have a crappy connection online or like you're watching the news and like everyone looks great except like one one panel <laughs> person like looks like shit. But it's like whatever. It's COVID, whatever. Sure. So. Yeah, so I think does a little... does a festival like that reach out to you to get you on the bill, or or does your management keep an eye out for cool festivals that they think you could slot in well? A little of both, a little yeah. of both. You know, I think you're often your best manager and agent. You know, um, a lot of things come directly to me. I pass them off. Um, this was a great opportunity because Stone Temple Pilots, Hoobastank, Puddle of Mud. Yeah. you know, we're we'll we'll. Um, we'll headline a tribute night um it's jersey it's atlantic city and atlantic city is really great now it's a really up and coming music scene it's it's like out of nowhere i know i know i think it was because it was so shitty um for a while (laughs) it's like a baseball team like when you're shitty for a long time you you accumulate draft picks yeah so i think (laughs) ac accumulated a lot of draft picks and they have a lot of draft capital and like there's a restaurant scene there it's not just about the casinos yeah there's, yeah there's girls i mean it's it's sick so um well it, se- it seemed like the asbury park scene re-exploded and a number of people from the asbury park area are looking for other venues to grow into and it seems to be uh, uh atlantic city I think so. I think so. I, I mean, I know this girl and her family, they're opening all these cool places. I'm like, uh, I want to come here all the time. Yeah. Um, for sure. AC is great. And I was playing shows there last summer and Fish was on the beach. Yeah. They did a, and it was crazy. I mean, there was like 100,000 idiots. Um, you know, and I love, it's like I stopped listening to Fish in like 94. I was like there for like the first five years. Sure. And but I love them, but it's like, okay. But when you see guys like my age and between my age and your age, like doing nitrous on the boardwalk, yeah, like, it, 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 there's some embarrassing behavior in our oh peer group. Uh, I was like, bro, what are you doing with your life? Um, so but, you guys, so you guys are playing a uh, Friday, June 10th yes, and we'll put all the links in. 
uh, for people to come out because we're going to push this out right away. Thank so I, I guess it's sort of my big question to you, Constantine, is if it wasn't an issue of money and time and getting a band together and all the other stuff that distracts, if you could do one project, what would it be? What would be like the perfect thing that you would want to put out there? Wow. Thank you for asking. Um, I, uh, look, I, I'm, I dream of like the great scripted series. Um, how John Hamm became a star with Mad Men, like the right writer, the right network, the right character, the right everything. He was the guy, the Gandolfini to the Sopranos. Sure. Um, where it's just like magical kismet. And I know I have those chops. So like that would be incredible to find like that great series that you can sit in a role for a while and in your downtime, maybe do a cool play in New York or write a record or do some tour dates. Um, but well, like, it seems I like that kind of fame that. would open up opportunities to do stuff off the beaten path. Definitely. Sure. And I'm, it's not even about fame. Like, obviously, if it were well received and it would, the show would run, would be great. But to like connect with the character, um, you know, what's her name in Homeland, um, or like any of these, you know, like connect with a cool, interesting, dark, witty, even comedic mm -hmm. um, serial would be would be great. Well, that's, then, that was the interesting thing about The Sopranos is they they list themselves as a comedy slash drama. And although it's not a laugh out loud comedy, it, it does take on a certain surreal sort of aspect oh, of how would the, how do these characters behave like that? Right. The genius uh, of it all was just, and, you know, I've gotten to know a little Steven over the years and sure. Maury, and I've heard some stories, you know, he <laughs> was going to be Tony Soprano. Oh, I he didn't was, know that. Yeah. He was going to be Tony Soprano. So a man yep. with almost no acting history was going to head up this huge production. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's. I'm sure it would have been fine, but I think he created a character that will be oh. known in television history. Both him and James Gandolfini. Oh. Uh, what I find and really interesting. It him, it, before Gandolfini, it was even the actor who. Oh God. He played, and I'm spacing his name. He was one. He was like the short gangster that was in jail. They popped, like surface in like season two or three, and he had like a thing with Janice. I mean, a few of them did. Oh, oh, is he the guy that Janice shoot? She kills him at the end, right? I think so, but yeah. not. What's his name from? Uh, uh, but but not, any not, any any of those guys could have stepped into a role like that, right? Yeah, too, and. But it was, it happened the way it was. But I mean, Tony Soprano. I mean, there is no other. There is no. no other. I, I I would agree. So that that would be ideal. But I'm writing. I got a new record. I'm excited about. I mean, to get in the a van and go play with my band and play my tunes and maybe sure. do support on a big rock, you know, tour. That would be wonderful as well. Um, but I pride myself in diversity. I'm very happy being a soccer dad living in fucking Whitehall. <laughs> I have a great kid like. You know, so I work a lot, um, but I, I'm, I'm content, you know, I mean, sure. but sure, um, I'm, I'm an actor and I would love to do even more of that and get those opportunities. And I, sure. and I am getting, like, I was close on some really huge projects that everyone is watching right now. You'd be surprised. I can't name them because sure. it's not cool, but like big ones from apple tv to netflix to hulu and all of that and i've been very close and i think people would have been like oh fuck he was casting that fuck you know but i'm there i'm in those rooms and well, I'm and eventually eventually your skills and that confidence you're going to hit on something and then and well, then it's just shooting forward right hey i'd be so grateful and i feel like uh you know, I still want to like open up a school and this work with Actors Technique on Actors Technique New York, bringing them to the Jersey world of things has been really rewarding as well. And I love working with young hopefuls and professionals. Uh, a lot of people that do it can't teach. 
Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I can teach. It's in mm -hmm. my blood. I know how to teach. Um, and I've seen so many phases of it that I have a lot, a lot to offer them, which is cool. Would you ever consider being like a, a a professor at like William Patterson that has an absolutely huge music program? Yeah, yeah, I I I, I would love to do something like that, but it's just I joke. I, that's I joke. a commitment that you may not be able to make while you're waiting for other things to pop up. Exactly, it's yeah. just tough. They don't want to pay you anything. I'd love <laughs> to be, you know, uh, um, artist in residence or something and teach like a bunch of undergrad or whatever it is. I I joke with Milena. I'm like. I got to show her the movie back to school and I'm like, I'm going to be, you're going to go to Yale for your undergrad and I'm going to do my MFA at Yale like yeah. 50 or in my fifties. <laughs> and it's going to, and like, I'll be teaching undergrad classes and like, I'll be like the 50 something year old Tony nominee, like getting earning his MFA and you, and just keeping an eye on his kid, like going to parties and shit. Like, Hey, does like, she, like, does she have, any sense of the name recognition and and the fame that you have yeah she does i mean she was born on broadway it's no big deal to her people you know i just had this huge spread come out in this glossy um 201 magazine actually it's actually a really great um is, is that the, the like the bergen county north jersey yeah thing okay and, uh, still like print and they still have huge ads and it's glossy it's sick and she's just like, yeah, yeah, my dad is in there. <laughs> um, but it's no big deal. It's just my job, you know. And like, I'm a normal parent at that at the events and the normal stuff, and I like it that way. Does she um, like to sing? Is she interested in music? She does. She does. She's a great athlete and great student, and she's in a lot of dance um, as well. She had a recital last night. She's got another one. She dances in the city with National Dance Institute, Jacques Dumbois' company. Uh, who recently passed away. So they've been honoring Jacques with all these cool um, recitals. And, um, but she's very into, she's in travel sports, torpedoes, the big Northern counties um, uh, soccer club. That oh, we're that's fantastic. In. And so at some point we're going to have to kind of figure that out. She does tennis. So it's like, you know, I'd love her to stay with the sports, to be honest, and the academics. Uh, she's a very gifted actor, though. Like, she's not like a big singer or big dancer. Like, you could tell at 11 if you have that, like, kind of voice. Yeah. Um, she's strong on camera, and she gets some calls, like, from the agent to do some sort of, you know, tapes and stuff. And she's very good on camera, like, um, with a scene. But, like, she's not going to belt out, you know, <laughs> uh, tomorrow from Annie, like, better than sure every 11 year old in new york on broadway sure. right now but you know that a voice is interesting a voice can come a voice can come uh i knew very early on that there was an instrument there but especially a female's voice i think um can really develop if you have good uh like good good pitch and intonation um that instrument can come i think sure. and develop it's different for the men. It's like, it certainly changes and, and can grow and a tenor's voice can get higher and better and stronger. But like, it's like, you know, if you have an, an instrument. I, I, I always so sense what? that puberty destroys men's voices. And, and yeah. right after that, you either got it or you don't. <laughs> exactly. I think that's really what it is. I think that's just really what it is. It's like, it's either there or no. When it's time to change. Yeah. Well, anyway. the, the, the interesting thing I always found in, in talking to your brother is just how tightly knit the whole family is around the careers and and the and the business. And I, I always enjoyed uh, your brother's stories about, you know, sitting at the kitchen table, sort of plotting what to do next. It's like a family cottage industry in many ways. Yeah. And he really made me do a lot of that sort of like briefcase and a microphone type of uh, point of view stuff. Like, it's important to sign these pictures and mail them to these people. They will remember that, yeah. you know, and, and like, do this here, sign this. It's going up in this restaurant, you know, whatever it is. Um, he was great with that because he's an indie artist. He is yeah. the definite artist, not what indie has become, which is mainstream. Yeah. Um, so uh, he taught me all that shit. No, and that it's... mixed in with my sort of like real like kind of mainstream pop sort of stuff. 
and uh, that culture, like it's been a good, a good match. And yeah, we support, I mean, he met his wife through me, like she was working for me. And Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. They made my 30th birthday party. Yeah. Now that's a good birthday party. Anyway, we have spent the better part of an hour with Constantine Maroulis. Uh, he is going to be performing at the Orange Loop Festival. Uh, June 10th is the day he'll be performing. We'll have all the links up. Hey, Constantine, I know I haven't seen you in about 41 years, but it was a pleasure to catch up with you. You have aged with grace and wisdom and hair. <laughs> I can only claim one or two of them, but not all three. And um, I'm actually looking forward to being in the photo pit when you're playing and getting you some uh, dramatic pictures. Thanks. Uh, so, we're excited um, to unleash. It's been great to connect with you. Uh, you can find me, ConstantineMaroulis.com. has got all the details. We'll, we'll put up all the links in the show notes. Yeah, my and, socials are verified. They're easy to find. And sure. I'm excited about putting out some new music, too, and everything. And I can't wait to see you at the show, man. Sounds perfect. Hey, Constantine. We've got other shows, too. we got... Well, yeah, yeah t- take a second. What else are you doing in the next couple well, of weeks? Well, we're going to be we'll, – we'll even be in uh, – we're doing a big open-air show in in, uh, in Union, New Jersey. It's on the website on uh, July 14th and in Lindhurst on the 16th. So we're doing some Jersey stuff coming up, which is Sounds cool. Sounds good. Jersey's yeah, – uh, Jersey's uh... a bit, too. So uh, find me. Uh, we'll definitely do, and then uh, I'll catch up with you, and we'll make arrangements. I'll come take some pictures of you guys in the other venues as well, because that's what I like That'd to do great. in the off hours. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. All right. Hey, best of luck. Enjoy being a house dad for the rest of the week, and we'll see you on stage uh, in a couple of days. All right, mate. I can't wait. Thank you.